0: Welcome to the Beats show. We also have a free newsletter, so do check it out on databeats.community. So today, you've got Xander Matheson from Bytewax, who's here to help us understand stream processing. So here we go. Hey, Xander, thanks for joining.
1: Yeah, I'm stoked to be here and I always get pumped up from that, uh, the beats at the beginning there. So let's go.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Xander. First question for you. In simple terms, what is stream processing?
1: Yeah, so stream processing uh, very generally is the ability to process um, over a bounded or unbounded stream of data. So you process one piece of data at a time. Um, And generally, it happens in real time or uh, something like that.
0: Okay. Um, And what are the prerequisites in terms of the data stack to set up stream processing?
1: Yeah, generally, um, you're going to have some sort of streaming system that will involve like something like Kafka or or Red Panda or Pulsar. So you either have like a, I don't know, a, a message broker or some, some format like that. Um, and then you'll have some processing system and that's what allows you to process the data. Uh, so it consumes from those uh, more durable uh, um, systems and manipulates the data and sends it out somewhere else. And that's like the at the bare minimum, that's kind of what you need to process streaming data.
0: Cool, yeah, and Bytewax, uh, which you're building is an open source framework to build data apps using streaming data. Can you briefly explain what it does and how it works?
1: Yeah, sure, so uh, yeah, Bytewax is a, a framework, um, it's open source, and it's a, it's a stateful stream processor, um, and, and it allows you, what we say is that it allows you to easily build on top of streaming data. So you can think of it as, uh, tool for building um, applications that are leveraging streaming data uh, whether that be something more advanced like uh an online uh machine learning algorithm for anomaly detection or something like that, or it could be something more simple where you're um, just uh you know transforming that data um in real time and so yeah that's it's a it's a framework and it gives you kind of the um the pieces to connect to streams. Of data to manipulate them um, and then connect to downstream um, other you know data data systems.
0: Um, and can you explain the the key differences between stateful and stateless stream processing?
1: Yeah. So uh, stateful stream processing. So one of the hard things about processing streaming data is um, maintaining. Uh, Uh, a picture of what's going on um, so that you can do more advanced things with it. And so that's the stateful part. So you can think of like, let's say I wanna know all the things that happened for a certain user or over amount of time, an amount of time, that's when you bring in state because you want to have a window of time and then aggregate about a user. So you have to maintain this information about the user over time. So stateless uh, with stateless stream processing, you cannot do things like that. It's basically sort of like you just are acting on one piece of data at a time, um, and it very very much simplifies um, the problem because you don't need to know what's go- what else is going on, and you can scale it uh, more easily.
0: Cool, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and how can a tool like ByteWax be used in conjunction with an open source OLAP data store such as Apache Pino?
1: Yeah, so you can use various systems downstream of ByteWax. It really depends on um, ultimately how either how internally uh, other people are going to interact with the data or how you're going to serve it. So ByteWax could be used for um, a transformation layer before something like an OLAP database. Uh, if you're then, you know, you have a bunch of dashboarding reporting you're doing that's on top of that um, real time Uh uh, or on top of Pinot or something like that. and so with BiWax, you can do some transformations, some adjustments to the data, maybe add in third party data sources and then um, you know write it out to Pinot. and then your system downstream of that does the you know you know have a query or or something like that, some dashboards.
0: All right, cool. Uh, so switching gears now, what are the top two use cases of stream processing technologies?
1: I think probably the most common use cases today for stream processing are um, most likely based off anomaly detection. So there'll be a- applications of that methodology. So you have things like fraud um, detection for um, uh, you know credit card tra- transactions or something like that, uh, or maybe anomaly detection could be used for in a... Um, a cybersecurity use case, so um, detecting when there's some sort of anomalous behavior um, those are um, are quite common use cases i mean I, I'm not sure what is the most common um, there are many other use cases, but those are I think those are two that um, involve anomaly detection, which is a pretty good use ca- uh, pretty good uh, um, methodology that can be used in a streaming fashion
0: and now can you explain how stream processing can be used in e-commerce? And how can merchants use stream processing to to build better shopping experiences?
1: Yeah, but, uh, that's actually a, a really great use case um, for e-commerce a personalization of e-commerce sites. So, um, you know, like Amazon uses for recommendations, other e-commerce sites could leverage stream processing technology to personalize the shopping experience for each shopper that that comes into the uh, into the website.
0: And which industries? Benefit the most from stream processing tech. Are there industries where stream processing is
1: non-negotiable? So I think that to answer this question, it's best to zoom out. Um, stream processing is uh, adds complexity to your your um, infrastructure, and so it's important that there's an ROI. Um, Associated uh, with the change that you make. So if you're moving to stream processing, or you want to leverage stream processing, you need to make sure that that increase in complexity is going to be worth it in the end. So um, industries where the closer you can get to real time to making de- for making decisions, um, or you know improving user experiences, uh, those are like the best, uh, industries for, um, real time. As far as like non-negotiable, uh, there's plenty of instances in like IOT, um, where it's a non-negotiable to have stream processing and like connected devices. So you can think of like, you know, connected cars, um, or you can think of also, uh, um, another lo- non-negotiable is, is situations where you have, um, you have a lot of changes happening and you need to make a decision for the user in real time. So like Uber um, and Lyft, when they're like trying to match the right driver to the right, um, uh, to the, the person uh, to make a better user experience. And like, ultimately if they don't get that fat, if whoever, you know, some people will open Uber and Lyft request a driver and whatever comes is faster, they're gonna go with. And so that's like, you can measure that experience and it makes sense to increase the, um, Complexity of your infrastructure so that you can give them the best experience and ultimately drive uh, increase in revenue. Yeah, got it. Well,
0: thank you so much, Zander. It's been great having you on the show. Last question for you: What's the one piece of advice you have for companies that are evaluating stream processing or other real-time technologies?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think coming back to what we were just talking about, it's like a double, double down on that. Uh, you know, can you increase the revenue, you know, generated by the product, or you know, uh, in some way, or like decrease your costs. So, like, can you uh, affect um, um, the company's uh, bottom line um, with the change? That's that's basically it. Because there is an there is an increase in complexity of the code that you write and the systems you maintain.
0: Help bridge the gap between data people and non-data people. Join us on